0: So do you know one of the most powerful forces in your life, one of the most powerful influences that you have ever experienced? Believe it or not, it's where you grew up, it's the family that you grew up in, it's the parents, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, the extended family that you were around, all the people that you see at Thanksgiving and Christmas that were there before you, that talk about stories that you never experienced, people that you never met. All of those things have a bigger influence on your life than almost anything else that you ever experience. Those people shape and have shaped how you view God. They shape how you view and handle money. They shape how you view and handle the opposite sex. Your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles had an enormous impact in determining your self-confidence or your lack of self-confidence. They determined your favorite sports teams and whether or not you liked sports. They determined your favorite kind of music. In my family growing up, My dad hated country music. I hate country music. My daughter loves country music. Some things don't get passed down. But here's the thing, it affects how you vote. Now here's how this plays out. It plays out in you carry on exactly what you were taught or, depending on your personality, you rebel. And do the exact opposite. Some of you vote Republican because your parents and grandparents and everyone before you vote Republican. And some of you vote Democrat because your parents and grandparents vote Republican. (laughs) Now, this relationship, now here's the thing. We totally underestimate where we come from. And we underestimate the power of it we underestimate the influence that it plays in our life. The only human relationship that I think has on par with the same impact, and I think at times is sometimes beneath the impact of our family of origin is the person we marry. Our family of origin plays a massive role in the people that we become. Now, here's the problem with your family of origin, and, and when you think of your family of origin, here's what I'm talking about, I'm talking about your parents, your grandparents, your aunt and uncles. I'm talking about the people that you experienced in your earliest parts of life. Your elementary school teachers had an enormous impact on your life. But when you think about your family of origin, the problem is, for some of us, we, we didn't get to choose our family of origin. We didn't get to choose what came before we were born. You and I can't go back and change the choices that our parents or grandparents made or didn't make. You and I can't go back and change the decisions that they made to get in the car one day drunk or to make that decision to marry that person or to make that decision to file for bankruptcy. We can't go back and change the things that happened. And we can't change the world that they grew up in and the things that they experienced, the things they carried with them. In the same way that one day your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids aren't going to be able to change the things that you did. And so in this series, we're spending this series talking about the families that we're building, talking about the relationships that we're moving into. But to do that, to look forward, we have to look back. You have to understand where you came from. You have to understand what happened before you arrived on planet Earth. You have to understand the impact of the stories that have been passed down in your family, the things that you talk about and don't talk about in your families, And whether you realize it or not, All of those experiences, good and bad, mark us. They shape us. All of those things that you want to celebrate and all of those things that you wish didn't happen have had an impact on us. I mean, think about it like this. I remember, I've talked to numerous guys who can tell you this story of someone in their life at some point looking at them and saying, you're too old to cry. And the impact that that has on how they handle their emotions, Almost every single man that you ever meet will tell you that he has a story of somebody looking him in the eye and saying, men don't do that, man up, and the impact that that has. I remember talking to a woman and she said one of the most defining moments of her life was a teacher that looked at her and said, girls aren't supposed to be good at math. And how that shaped everything about her. So many women will tell you stories of somebody looking at them and comparing their beauty to something that they are just not able to attain, and the impact that that had on them, the impact that that carries with them. Now, here's the thing. Here's what we do. We actually do our best to protect ourselves and minimize what happened. We do our best to not talk about those things. We do our best to just shrug off and just say, well, you know, that that just happened. Like, what am I supposed to do about it? Always, 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 always pay attention to the things in your life that you minimize. Always pay attention to the things that you try to shrug off. I remember as I was beginning to just kind of dig into my story and meeting with a spiritual director, and he pointed something out, and I just said to him, I said, well, what am I supposed to do about that? That just happened. And he said, Josh, when you shrug things off, he said, you're just trying to protect yourself from having to even deal with it. Always pay attention to what you minimize. See, for us to move forward, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. For us to move forward, we must go back. You must go back to go forward. Now that sounds simple, but looking back is actually, for some of us, very painful. Looking back for many of us is is looking at what happened before us. It also means celebrating the good and grieving the painful. It's understanding the stories that came before you. It's understanding the sicknesses that maybe happened in your family. It's understanding the things that your family just believed. Every one of our families that you grew up in, we all have a narrative. We all have a story that we carried with us. Things that we just believed about the world. But this is really important. You cannot build your future family until you reconcile what came before you. You cannot build your future family until you reconcile what came before you. But our past is tricky. I mean, think about some of the ways that your past has affected your present life. I mean, here are just a few as you think about your family of origin. Think about how conflict was handled in your family of origin growing up. How did you guys do conflict? How did you do disagreements and arguments? Were you the shouting family? Or were you the family that just sweeps everything under the rug and just pretends that there's nothing wrong? Were you the family that talked about your feelings? Were you the family that didn't talk about your feelings? You didn't acknowledge feelings? Some of our families, the only feeling that we acknowledged was anger. I know many men, if you ask men, uh, about their emotions. When you dig into it long enough, you'll get to the place where they just say, anger is the only emotion I'm allowed to feel." Did your family have a victim mentality about what happened in their lives? Was it always somebody else's fault? Here's a really big one. How was sex talked or not talked about in your family? What things were off limits in that conversation? And I know, I mean I have four teenagers. It's awkward. it's, It's I think maybe more awkward for them sometimes Right, we just sit at our table, and we, we call it awkward conversations with mom. That's what we call it. And we, and we just sit, we throw it out there, and we just say, that we're going to have an awkward conversation with mom. We're all here. One of the kids falls off his chair, you know, it's, you know. But how was that, that discussed in your family? Were there any family secrets? Were there any people in your family that you didn't talk about? Any situations that you didn't talk about? What about success? How was success viewed in your family of origin? Was it the thing? Money? How was money handled in your family of origin? How was it talked about? Most of us never learned how to handle money. Addictions? What addictions have existed in your family? What addictions have been passed down? There's an exercise called a genogram where you begin to list out your family relationships. And when you do this, what you begin to see is you begin to see the things that were passed down. You begin to see addictions that went from one generation to the next. You begin to see the deaths that impacted people. You begin to see how this divorce led to this divorce led to this divorce. And the, and the difficulty of our families is that they are simply the water you swim in. It's just what you know. It's just what you know. I mean, think about your family when it comes to losses. Were there any prolonged illnesses in your family? Miscarriages, sudden deaths, bankruptcies. Chris mentioned the Connect card, and on there is a box that says the next step email. And if you check that tomorrow We're going to send an email that's going to help you walk through your family of origin to see the good and the difficult that got passed down, to see the good and the difficult that you grew up in and how it has impacted your relational world today. Because make no mistake, it has affected your relational world today. It affects, if you're a parent, it affects your parenting in ways that you're probably not even understanding. I remember Katie and I spent three years going through a thing called the Leader's journey. It was designed for pastors, and these two older counselors did it. There were 25 couples. We called it group counseling for pastors, and it was a very intense, emotional uh, three days every time we went to it. And I remember we were talking about our family of origin, and they're, and they're laying out all of these things, and somebody raises their hand, and they said, uh, so, how do we not mess up our kids? Because this can, like, feel really intense. And so, these two counselors, they're in their 70s. They're super gracious, just kind, old, you know, grandfatherly type people. And they smile, and the one guy just said, he said, well, you do your best, you pray a lot, you give grace to yourself and to your kids, and you save a lot for counseling. (laughs) But the reality is, as we're going to see in these passages today, is that while your family of origin has had a very big impact on you. It is not the end of the story for your family. It's not the end of the story. Your family of origin does not have to be the story of your future family. But we need to see how the Bible sees our families. Okay. So in Exodus, there's a couple of passages in Exodus I want to look at before we get to Ephesians. In Exodus 34, we see the power of our generations of our families. It says in verse 6 of chapter 34, the Lord passed in front of him, speaking of Moses, the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation." See, when scripture talks about our families, when it talks about where we come from, it doesn't just talk about our parents. Scripture, when it talks about the blessings and the difficulties and the sins of our family, it talks of three and four generations. You are feeling all of the effects of every decision that came before you. This is why I said, we have to look back So that we can move forward. We have to look back so that we can move forward. We see in another place in in chapter 20. As God is giving the people of God the ten commandments. He says this. He says do not make an idol for yourself. Whether in the shape of anything. Whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above. Or on the earth below. Or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow to worship them. And do not serve them. For I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children. To the third and fourth generations. To those who hate me. But showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so, Moses, as he's getting the Ten Commandments, God tells him, Your worship is connected to your family. The things that you value in worship is connected to your family. The things that you value within, you know, wh- whether it's God or sports or money, are connected to your family of origin. I mean, think about it. How many of you know somebody who has a job, has a career, based off of the influence of family? How many of you live where you live because of the influence of family? Most of us, like I said, love sports, hate sports, love certain kinds of music, hate certain kinds of music because of the influence of family. Because influence is real. As one pastor said, I've got Jesus in my heart, but my grandfather in my bones. Because it's there. It's there. And this is why God says there are consequences to our choices. Now, when we hear the word consequence, we think, of neg- we think of it in a negative way. Right? That's a consequence. You know, I mean, we think of it in a negative way, but a consequence is simply the result of an action. It's simply the result of something. It's the result of a choice. And the consequences of previous generations in your life are blessings and difficulties. You and I experience a whole host of blessings because of the people who came before us, because of the families we grew up in. And you and I experience a whole host of difficulties because of the families we grew up in. And the same way for your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. They're going to look back and they're going to say, man, I'm so glad my parents did this. They're also going to look back and be like, what in the world were my parents thinking? And they're going to do it about your your grandkids. See, there's dominoes to our choices, right? I mean, think about dominoes. There's dominoes to all of our choices, right? There's dominoes to the parents, to the families that grew up and got divorced. There's a domino to that. There's an effect to that. There's dominoes to the decision to go to college, to not go to college. Now, some of us in our lives, dominoes fall down unknowingly. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I don't want you to miss. Some of us, our choices are really small and kind of inconsequential, and it's just that. Some of us, though, can put up all the dominoes. And this is the domino that changes families forever. In good and bad ways. Right? Let me tell you one in my life. When we moved here, as we were talking with mentors about praying to move our family from Arizona to Massachusetts, I had a mentor who looked at me and he said, Josh, this is going to change your family forever. He said, your kids will not see themselves as from Arizona. He said, your kids will now see themselves as New Englanders. He said, they're going to go to high school there. They'll more than likely go to college there. They'll meet lifelong friends there. They'll potentially meet their spouse there. He said, this decision... Will change the trajectory of your entire family. Now he's, that's true. I remember when uh, I worked at, in Baltimore as a student pastor. Katie and I had just gotten married. We didn't have kids, and you know we're trying to figure out marriage and relationship. And I went out to breakfast with these with three older dads. All of their kids were in college or older. And I saw the picture of dominoes at this breakfast. As we sat there, you know, this, this group of, of guys, they were an accountability group. They met together almost every single week for breakfast for years. And the one dad was just lamenting how his kids didn't want to have anything to do with God. They didn't go to church. And, and he was just unloading at this breakfast. He said, I just don't get it. You know, we, we raised our kids in a Christian family. They went to a Christian school. He said they just want nothing to do with God. And it was just this very intense Moment, and I just sat there and I and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm 23 and I, I I'm like, oh, man, I have no idea. And I remember one of the dads, he kind of cleared his throat and he said, "What don't you get?" And I kind of sat up because I thought this that's, that's kind of an intense response. And he said, "Listen," he said, "I." my heart breaks for you. And he said, you know, I, I'm kind of in the same spot with some of my kids. But he said, the reality is, is he said, you spent middle school and high school going to every soccer tournament and every band competition. He said, you spent all the weekends on trips and at, and at sports and school events and extracurriculars, all building your kids' college resumes. And he said, right now, your kids are doing exactly what you spent years telling them was the most important thing. And I sat there, and as clear as I'm speaking, it was like the Holy Spirit was right next to me saying, Josh, pay attention. Pay attention to this moment. I have never forgot that moment. I have never forgot the the reality that every single choice you and I make sometimes are just two dominoes. Sometimes they're just really small. Sometimes it's just one domino that falls by itself. But sometimes, as Exodus tells us, it goes from one, two, three, and four generations. And here's the thing, is that a lot of us minimize that reality. Even though we see it in our own stories, and we see it in the stories of the people around us. This is why we have to go back to go forward. We have to see the choices that you and I made, how they played out for our parents and grandparents. We have to see what's, what's in us, what's in our bones from our grandparents that we carry. And there's a couple of ways for us to respond. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, there's kind of two ways for us to respond. The first is he says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. See, many of us, when we look back on what came before us, when we look back on our families, this is what we feel. We have feelings of bitterness and anger and wrath. We have feelings of malice. We are mad, we are hurt, and it is eating us alive. It is tearing us up. Many of us make people pay today for things that somebody did decades ago. And the thing is, is we have to acknowledge what we're supposed to carry and what we're not. And some of us today need to bring our bitterness, our anger, our sadness, and we need to just leave it with Jesus. We need to stop carrying it. This is why I said in the beginning, you can't build your future family until you reconcile what came before you. I remember I had two pretty big um, moments in my life that impacted my future family in a pretty big way. One, when I was in middle school, I, I, I loved sports and athletics in middle school. I played soccer my whole life. I didn't care about school. I didn't want to read a book. I didn't want to do anything educational. I just wanted to have good enough grades to play soccer. That was my whole goal. And I remember I was out one day in the car with, with my uncle, and my uncle was highly successful. Made a ton of money. Really smart. And we were in the car one day, and we were sitting there, and we are at one of those construction sites where, like, the guy's turning the sign. And my uncle looked at me, and he said, Josh, he said, do you see that guy? And I was like, yeah. Now, I looked up to my uncle. I mean, I saw him as, like, somebody like, man, I want to be like him he said, Josh, he said, if you keep getting the grades you're getting, that's your future. Just standing there turning the sign. Now, come to find out, like, those guys make, like, really good money, (laughs) right? You know, I mean, I didn't know it as, you know, like an 11-year-old, you know. (laughs) Like, that guy's got no college debt. I mean, you know. (laughs) But I just sat there, and, and here's all I heard. I didn't hear, you know, I'm trying to push you and encourage you to be more. Here's what I heard. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Now he didn't say that necessarily. But that's what I heard. And this is what happens in our families. This is what happens as parents and grandparents. We say things and our, and our kids hear things and our kids carry things. A few years later, I, I got to high school. I'm getting close to graduation. And again, my, my grades were not great at all. And my guidance counselor, you know, I told him the colleges I wanted to apply to. And he looked at me and he goes, Josh, you're not college material. He goes, you should go to a trade school. Work with your hands. Now, if you know me, if you come to our house, our tools are all pink. I don't, I don't fix anything. Like, I don't, Katie, Katie takes our washer and dryer apart. I don't fix anything. Like, if you want, like, you know, someone the other day was like, hey, can you help me move? And I'm like, these muscles are just for show. Like, they're not, like, like, I, like so I don't like to work with my hands. That's not my MO, okay? But these two stories together, do you know what I left high school with? I'm not smart enough. Not smart enough. Now I remember. So I, I go to college. I did okay in college. Went immediate to get to seminary to get my master's. I graduated my master's with, with like a 3.9. I told Katie I, I, I wanted to send my, my transcripts to my guidance counselor, you know, just to let him know. But but I didn't because Jesus changed my heart. You guys. But then I went and got went to go get my doctorate. Because my entire life became, I'm going to show everybody that I'm smart enough. And if I can have some letters behind my name, then man, they're going to know. So we plant our church in Arizona, and I'm flying twice a year from Arizona to Philadelphia to get my doctorate. Spending a week in Philadelphia each time. Get through four classes. I have two classes on my paper left, and I'm working on my paper and everything. I remember I fly back, and Katie comes to pick me up in Phoenix, and we have, our, we have three kids you know, under four. We're starting a church. And we're driving back from Phoenix, and, and I thought about it the whole plane ride back. And I was just quiet, and she's like, are you okay? You know, like, I was like, well, it's just kind of a, a long, long day, a long week. And we're driving, and I just, and I say, I, I don't, I don't want to go back again. I don't, I don't want to finish. She's like, what do you mean? And I said, I, said, I, I just don't care anymore if anybody thinks I'm smart. And and it was this moment, now, here's what happens with, with moments like this. We think it was like that. But it was all these simple affirmations from Christ. It was all these things as I wrestled in, it was day after day after day, of getting to the place where I was able to release what came before me and what was said to me, even in is goodwill. And each one of us, no matter the families we grew up in and what we experienced, we have things we carry. And so we have a choice. We have a choice. We can, we can be bitter. A lot of us know people who are bitter. A lot of us know people who are angry at, at our families. And here's the thing. Hear, hear this. Some of us have every right to To be angry and to be bitter. We have every right. It is totally explainable. You tell people the stories you grew up in, and it makes so much sense. We look at that and go, yes, you have every right to be angry at your family. How could they do that to you? As we think about abuse or abandonment or addictions and how they get passed down. From a human perspective, we look at it and go, you have every right to be angry. But Paul doesn't leave this passage there. He says, in verse 32, he says, the other side of this coin is to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So Paul says, we can be bitter and angry. We can have malice. We can shout and have wrath. We can be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Now, when he says one another... That includes the family you grew up in, It includes your spouse as you navigate your family. It also includes being kind and compassionate to yourself as you navigate your story. It includes being kind and compassionate to the person that you look at in the mirror. Not comparing to another person's story. He says, forgiving just as God forgave you now here's where we get hung up many times when it comes to this idea of forgiveness so what is forgiveness this is really really important if we're going to apply this to our families and forgive our imperfect families because they're imperfect and the family you're building is imperfect but forgiveness does not mean you forget okay forgiveness does not mean you forget forgiveness does not mean that you pretend it didn't happen Forgiveness does not mean you shrug and minimize it and say, well, it could have been worse. Forgiveness does not mean that you excuse what happened. Forgiveness is also, this is important, forgiveness does not mean that you reconcile with the other person. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness might mean that you create, you have some some wisdom boundaries with somebody. There are some people in your life and my life that you forgive that you just say, you know what, you're never going to be alone with my kids. But that's wisdom. And forgiveness is not a one-time decision. Forgiveness is a daily decision, especially, especially when you see that person on a regular basis. Forgiveness is a daily decision. And forgiveness has absolutely nothing to do with the other person apologizing. Some of us, we're waiting to let go of somebody because we're waiting for them to, to fess up. There's a good chance that you'll die before they fess up. But forgiveness is something you do in your heart. It's the thing that you say, I'm done carrying this. I am done giving real estate in my heart to this person. But forgiveness isn't easy. Right, C.S. Lewis said that forgiveness is a beautiful, wonderful word until you have someone to forgive. And that's true. But forgiveness, forgiveness does mean releasing that person. Releasing what happened. Forgiveness does mean you digging in and saying, okay, God, help me see what was happening there. Help me see. Why that happened? Forgiveness does mean sometimes looking at your family of origin and simply saying they did the best they could. They did the best they could. But at a deep heart level, forgiveness, because look at the picture Paul gives us. We forgive as God also forgave you in Christ. What did we say last week as we looked at Romans 5? Christ died for you before you knew you were a sinner. Christ extended forgiveness and grace before you knew you needed it. But here's here's what runs around in my heart. Yeah, but they didn't ask yet. I'm waiting for them to come and say they're sorry. Sorry. I don't know that they deserve it. Before you and I were sinners, God in his grace looked at us and said, I will make things right. See, we have this idea that we got grace the moment that we asked for, but the reality is God gave us grace way before we showed up on the scene with our sin. See, and this is what we remember when we take communion. When we come forward to these tables and pick up the bread and the juice, we remind ourselves, we remember that Jesus came first before we knew we needed this. And when Jesus takes the bread and the cup, what does he say? This is my body broken for what? You. Broken for you. Broken for you and your story and your addictions and the addictions that came with you and the addictions that got passed down to you and the things that you experienced and walked through, broken for you. And this is my, this is the cup, this is my blood spilled out for you. And here's something that I think some of us will have to wrestle with. Some of us don't want to extend forgiveness as God extended forgiveness. I remember I, I had a deep place of hurt in a relationship at one point. And every week as I came up to take communion, one of the things that I prayed again and again, one of the things that Katie and I prayed together was God, help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Soften my heart towards this. Soften my heart towards this person. And so some of us, as we come to take communion today, some of you are gonna come up and just say, God, help me to forgive as you have forgiven. Some of you need to come up and just pick up the bread and the cup and say, God, I am releasing my family of origin to you. I am done carrying what came before me. I am, I'm just done carrying. I'm done carrying this. But maybe some of you, this is the moment that you're experiencing forgiveness for the first time that you're hearing, it is possible for me to experience grace. See, in the same way, that one domino of an addiction a bankruptcy, of a divorce, hits another domino and goes down and goes down. One decision to follow Jesus hits a domino and goes down and goes down. And one decision to forgive and let go goes goes down and goes down and goes down. See, our future families, our future relational worlds, can be built anew. Why? I said it earlier. One of the first verses we looked at. Why? Because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. When you and I forgive, we don't do it alone. We don't do it on our own courage and our own might. We do it with a God who is abounding in faithful love. So, as we close, we're going to sing a song about surrender. It's just called I Surrender. And it's just really this picture of we're letting go. And so, I want to encourage you to just take a moment right where you're at. Maybe there's something, a person that's come into your mind that you just need to let go of, that you need to surrender. Maybe you need to put your hands out and say, God, help me to forgive as you have forgiven. Help me to release. See, God answers our requests for help. So Father, we, we come to the table today as, as your children, as your followers. And God, many of us carry hurt. We carry things said to us. We carry things done to us. Father, on a human level, I I relate so much to Ephesians 4.31. Bitterness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, shouting. That makes a lot of sense in relational hurt. But because of your grace, Father, because of the power of your Spirit living in us, Because of the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, we know that new life, that new beginnings are possible. But God, new life and, and life everlasting, resurrection always comes from a death. So God, I pray that you would help us to release what we need to, help us to let go of what we need to so that we can move forward. Well, as we close, as I mentioned, we're going to spend a moment just taking communion together. This is something we do every week as a community, and it's just a chance for us as followers of Jesus to remind ourselves that the forgiveness that we have experienced was given to us way before we knew we needed it, that the grace that God has extended to us was was enacted 2,000 years ago before you and I were even on the scene. And so it's a reminder as we take the bread and the cup that Jesus died and rose from the dead for you, for your story, for your brokenness, for your pain, for the things you carry, for the things done to you, said to you, but also that forgiveness is for the brokenness that we enact on people. And so I want to encourage you to take a moment right where you are, to just do some business to, to bring some things to God that you need to. There's some confession that you need to do to do that. There's some releasing of just letting go. And it's okay if you've done it before. It's okay if you said, I've forgiven this person before. Forgiveness is a daily decision. Letting go is a daily decision. But it's a reminder as we come to the table that it is possible. And so when you're ready, I'd encourage you to come down the front here and go around to the side. Each of the tables has gluten-free options if you need that. And then when you get back to your table, back to your seat, just stay standing. Because we're going to sing and we're going to proclaim that when we surrender, God responds and meets us. So when we surrender our families and our past, God responds and